had a sermon prepared for this weekend, but this sermon kept coming up to me just kind of in my heart throughout the week. And I've preached this sermon before, actually like two and a half years ago, I think I preached it. And uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll preach it a little bit different today. But um, I kept thinking about it. And then I told Jess, you know, like midweek, I was like, I think I want to preach this sermon. And then I was like, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm going to stick with the, the other sermon that I have. And the other sermon was a little bit newer and a little bit fresher. And it actually came out of a place of irritation. And um, sometimes it's wiser of me to kind of let those ones simmer a little bit. And like, I get to cool down a little bit. <laughs> and you guys laugh at that, but you also in the hallway encourage me to be like on the edge. And like, if I feel like I'm being like a little, you guys are like, that's good. I like, you know, you get after me. Sometimes I joke, like, cause my wife is like, yeah, like you preach a little bit better, like when you're half mad, you know, if you get mad. So I just wonder some weekends, like I think to myself, like on a Friday and a Saturday, if she's getting on my nerves, I'm like, is she just trying to rile me up for the sermon? <laughs> like, I don't. So just really went back and forth, uh, you know, with God. And it's funny when we say that, like, I went back and forth with God. Now, God told me earlier in the week to do this. I went back and forth with myself. <laughs> um, but so this is it. And so uh, there may be, if you've been with us a while, uh, some of these thoughts you've heard before. But just I believe this is what God wants shared this weekend. And so we're going to do it. And so the idea here is speaking of, like, our potential and all that God has for us. Uh, I had this thought of it's interesting to me how so many of us are okay or the aim is uh, good enough. We know, uh, I've said it a couple ways, like are you living your life for good enough or God enough? Now, there's really no such thing as enough God, uh, but God enough is limitless. We know all throughout the scripture, it's exceedingly abundantly above. It's more than you could ask or think. It's God's got plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope, all these things. But so many times we fight for or we almost work to just stay at good enough. We look around and we're looking at what everybody else is doing and this person's this and it's like, hey, I'm just going to measure myself to like what's good enough to get by. Uh, if you've ever built something with somebody, uh, I've heard this said in different places. Uh, sometimes you put something together and you may have heard this said on a job site or something. Somebody says you get done with it or, or you just kind of get by with it. You've built it just good enough and somebody says, good enough for who it's for, right? And you just kind of do this thing. But I just wonder if our concept in God and in our life is like, hey, look at the world we live in. Look at the culture. Look what everybody else is doing. I'll give them this because it's good enough for who it's for. But really, we're called to live a life unto God. Scripture says that, like, I have made my, though I am free, I've made myself a servant to all so that I might win some people unto God. Making sense? Are you with me? So it's not good enough for who it's for. We're, we're unto God in this. Does that make sense? And so this idea of like, oh, we, you know, let's just, let's just do what's good enough. Let's just do what gets us by. Let's just, or we could believe God at his word and the idea that he's got more than you could ask or think. He's got so much planned for you, better than you even know, right? And we could start living in a way that like we're going after God's enough. Amen? I thought about it like this. Miles Monroe has this great idea where he says that he believes the richest places in the world are not the oil fields. It's not the gold mines. It's not where you would harvest or dig up or discover diamonds. He says, uh, it's not the oil and it's not all those things. It's not Wall Street. He says, the richest places in the world are the graveyards. It's because it's people who went to their grave full of potential, 
full of songs that were never written, full of uh, paintings that were never made, all movies never directed, all of these great things that God put inside people, but maybe they settled for good enough or they settled for average and they never maximized all that God had for them. Maybe an addiction won in their life. Maybe they settled saying, well, my family's always been this way or this person and I've always been, or I didn't get the right upbringing. I didn't, and they made all of these reasons for why what they settled for was good enough. And they lost this potential of all that God put on the inside of them. I wish that we could dig up and, and unwrap, if you will, all of that potential and see it come to pass. I love about Jesus is he gave us this way to live. He didn't have this, well, that's good enough to get by. Jesus hanging on the cross says this. He says, it is finished, meaning like I've done all that I was set here to do. Jesus didn't die old. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm, I'm here and I live and I grow old and I die. But Jesus was like, I lived and stewarded my life in a way that I can get up and say, I've done it all. I've reached my, it's finished. Does that make sense? And same thing about Paul. Paul says, I've finished my course. I've been poured out like a drink offering, meaning I've emptied all that God has put in me. Now, some of you might be saying like, does God really have a limit? Is there an end? I think it's, it's, it's a lifestyle, meaning like I've given all. Are you with me? So let's pour out all of ourselves. Let's not hold back with excuses of, well, it's a busy season or we have young kids or we're now elderly and we shouldn't do that. No, God wants us to be emptying ourselves, pouring out and finishing the course. Are you with me? I thought about this. God is not interested. This is a hard way to say it, but God is not interested in you. He's interested in what's in you. See, because God could just create, you know, just a body. You know, he could just put another earth body together. But God, when he created you fearfully and wonderfully made, he put great things on the inside of you. He put great potentials on the inside of you. He put amazing capabilities and things on the inside of you. And he's saying, I'm interested in seeing that come to pass. The scripture says that we have a treasure in our earth and vessel. Speaking of your calling, your potential, your salvation, everything that you have that God set you on a course to succeed, God is interested in that treasure and seeing it come to pass. Are you with me? Jesus came to redeem you because God needs things a certain way so that you can reach your purpose and potential. God, the whole thing with the Bible is God saying like, look, I believe in you. I'm for you. I want to be with you. You have great things. You're not created to be just good enough. You're created as a sonship, a daughtership, a kingship in my family. There's more. And then when there was a limit, when there was sin in our lives and Jesus hadn't died on the cross and shed his blood, he said, hey, we got to maximize on that potential. We got to make sure sin isn't blocking us. And so he sends his son, the blood covers us. Why? So that he can be near us, so that he can maximize all that he created us for. Are you with me? But isn't it interesting that we almost don't believe it? You got a whole book and thousands of years and prophets and scrolls and scribes and songs and all these things put together, proclaiming and shouting how much God is for you and loves you and has plans for you. And we almost work harder at limiting ourselves. Like, I don't know if I can. And we say a season or I don't have a this. Are you with me? God is so for you and so filled you with potential. Potential, if you look it up, potential is untapped power. 
So if I come to you right now and say, man, all your dreams, all your passions, all those things that keep you awake at night, all of those things that give you butterflies when you think about helping somebody and changing a community and birthing something, all of those things, if I came to you and said, you can do it, you would say, I don't know if I have enough power. I don't know if I have enough in me. Well, you do because you have potential and potential is untapped power meaning somewhere on the inside of you right now, you contain power that you just haven't tapped yet. Are you with me? It also is described as dormant ability. Well, I don't know if I have the ability. You do have the ability. It's dormant. Trust God. Ask God. Pray. Press into God, and he'll, he'll show you that dormant ability. I don't know if I'm strong enough. The definition of potential is hidden strength. How am I going to do it? How am I going to make it? How could I ever see it come to pass? Well, God, on the inside of you, you have hidden strengths in you today. Are you with me? <laughs> Unused success. I don't know. I don't know if there's more in me. You know, I think the level that I've got is, is the mountaintop. I think this is it. I don't think there's more. I don't think I can do more. Potential is unused success. Right now on the inside of you, you have a level of unused success that we got to just not put a label of, oh, this is good enough, but I want God enough in my life and he'll reveal and open and unwrap that unused success. Are you with me? Concealed power is another definition of potential. Currently in you, you have concealed power. You can't see it. It's reserved. It's held for when you get to the right place at the right time. Are you with me? Michelangelo started 44 famous, whether sculptings or projects or paintings, and 14 of them remained unfinished. And uh, you've seen some of them, you know, the, the missing piece, the different things. And uh, if you look into his different things, he's, he's kind of known for having these unfinished uh, things. And if you were to take a look at them, you look at these great masterpieces, if you will, that went unfinished. I wonder if how many of us Christians do the same thing. We come to God, we trust that he's working us as a masterpiece, he's put in all this, and then uh, we believe that God is developing our potential, we do, and all of a sudden we step away from the artist, if you will, we, we, we get stagnant, we, we just don't let ourselves finish, and we remove ourselves from the one who's shaping us, are you with me? And we take a look at our life and it's like kind of unfinished over here, we didn't follow through over there, we didn't fully commit here, and we don't complete the masterpiece. I hope that's not said about our lives, Amen. I, when I think about churches and I hear church conversations and, and you hear about, oh, that great church over there, they run 1,000, and that great, great church over there runs 3,000, this one. To me, a great church, and we hope to someday have an influence in our community of thousands. I believe right now when you read the statistic that half of America decidedly, decidedly doesn't go to church, I think that we need to see churches of great numbers. Are you with me? But the kind of numbers that I want to see is I'm not interested in just feeling, filling pews and thousands of people with people that are just okay being good enough. I think it's a miracle. I think it's a move of God if just one person comes through the door and trusts God for more than good enough and gives themselves to see their full potential reaped and their gifts come out. Are you with me? Laying down their lives to, to serve and to meet the need of those hurting in their community. Amen. That's what makes a great church is, is not just people spectating and saying, oh, this is good enough. I'm going through the motion. At least I was there. At least this. Well, it's summer. Well, it's this, right? People saying, no, I want all of God. I want God enough in my life. Amen. God created you to be this unbelievable person, this incredible potential person. Uh, even the way he constructed our body made you like the Terminator. I mean, you were created to be unstoppable. Your brain 
statistically is around three pounds. Some of you more, some of you definitely less. Um, but in these three pounds, your brain has the ability to record or retain about 100 trillion bits of information. Your brain makes 15,000 decisions a second when you eat. That's how incredible your brain is. Uh, they say this, that 10,000 odors, your brain has the ability to remember. Like, I don't know if it remembers that many, but if I were to say gasoline, uh, fresh cut grass, uh, you know, just start naming all paint. You start naming all these different odors. You're like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. Because you're just, you were made amazing. Uh, I forget the exact statistic about like how much of our brain we don't even use. Like, it's just unbelievable the way that God made us. Uh, your body contains the chemicals and the things that it needs to heal itself. You get an infection or you get a virus or you get a thing and your body starts to go to work to heal itself. You get a cut, your body starts to heal itself. Like God made us just absolutely incredible. He created you to be an overcomer, overcomer, so you can reach your potential, so that you can be all the greatness that God has for you. First Thessalonians 4.1 says this, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you. So like, we're just, we're just telling you, we're encouraging you. We're like cheering you on. We're urging and exhorting you in the Lord that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Like the encouragement here is like, keep going, keep growing. Don't, don't say, hey, we've got to a point and this is good enough. Like keep going, keep growing, keep asking God for more in your life. Uh, I thought about this. It's medical fact that when you retire and you do nothing, you die early. Statistically, those who they retire and they go on to do nothing, they sit around, they're just retired, uh, they, they, they die so much earlier. But those that retire and continue to go on and do things, travel, spend time with family, be a part of things, uh, work a hobby, do those kinds of things, uh, they live much longer. Why? Because you were created to be somebody who continues to grow and learn and reach potentials. And Are you with me? It's the same thing spiritually. You can't get saved and, 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 and come to God and, and say, okay, now I'm saved and now I'm here and now, now I'm just going to spiritually retire because I have my ticket to heaven. You'll dry up. You'll wither. You need to be connected to something that's moving you and pushing you and growing you. Amen? That's why we serve. That's why we get involved in the community. That's why we do all these kinds of things with great passion. Why? Because it causes us to continue to grow in God. Amen? This is kind of an interesting way to think about this, but uh, I've heard it said this. You go where your dreams take you. So when we live in like a protection mentality where it's like, hey, we got the house, we got the kids, or, you know, we got a decent job. Let's just let's protect. Let's just stop here. Uh, in sports, they call it prevent defense. You're just preventing, uh, you know, and so it's like we've just we've got it locked down. There's like this bubble of just this. We don't want any more. We're content with this. But you were created to be a dreamer. God created, he's a, he's a creator. He's a visionary. He's an all-seer. So he made you that way. He wants you laying awake at night, thinking about a way that you can reach your city, that you can transform, all these kinds of things. And so if you've created your life to be a person who, who's close to dreaming, who's close to risking, who's close to serving and extending yourself, then you're going to struggle because God created you to be more. Are you with me? And I love this idea of you go where your dreams take you. And so many times when you feel stuck and stagnant and you feel like you're not going anywhere, my challenge to you is go to God and ask for a dream. Ask for the next passion. Ask for, ask for the next way. 
to serve more, to God, show me something that's going to give me those butterflies of being a part of something great. Are you with me? I thought about this. It's kind of a silly thing. But if you knew who God has planned you to be, you would ask for your own autograph. And it's a silly way to think about it, but I'm telling you, if we could do it, like if I had a wish as a pastor, uh, if we could peel back heaven and you could see what God has planned for your life, if you could get a glimpse of the way that he thinks about you and cares about you, if you could take a look at just what he wants for you for a small second, if you could see it, you would be like, oh my gosh, like I want to know that person. I want to be friends with that person. All that God has planned for you is so great and so big and so loaded. You would be like, that's the kind of person I want to get to know. Well, God has that plan for you. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so, so think that way. Like create your life to live that way. Like God has so much for me that I'm not going to be okay just saying, hey, this gets us by and it's good enough. Or, hey, this is enough and it gets us by. Like let's dream with God who can do the exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Amen. Here's how interested and here's how serious God was about it. In 1 Peter 1.18, it says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. So here's the table that God came to to be able to connect with you and buy you back so that you can reach your potential. Here's how it went. In the real estate market or when you're selling a house, if two people put in the same offer, one person has traditional financing, the other person comes to the table with cash, cash wins, cash is king because it's like bigger than the traditional financing typically. And so let's just put it in those terms with God. God says, I love my kids. I love these children. I created them. I love them. I don't want sin separating us since the fall of man. I want to be able to get in position where blood covers their sin and, and we can, are you with me? And he comes to the table and he says, listen, I don't have silver. I don't have gold. I don't, I have something so much more rare and pure and perfect. And he pushes in the, sounds funny, but pushes in the blood. There's nothing greater than this. There's no higher value that could have been given for you and for your potential and for all that God has for you. Cash is not king like the blood is king. Are you with me? And so we got to believe in all that God did to be able to see us live the best kind of life. You're rare. Currently in the world, there's about 6.2 billion people. Uh, in America, 133,000 were born uh, each day in America. 400,000 born uh, in the world each day. There's about 60 billion since the beginning of time. 60 billion people, all these born all the time, but nobody has your thumbprint. Nobody has your specific DNA, meaning to God, you're literally one of a kind. You literally, God's like, hey, when I went all in and I sent my son and I spilled that blood and we did all that, he did that for you, the one of a kind. Not so that you can be good enough. It's so that you can receive all that he has for you. The value of you is better than anything uh, that he could have given. Does that make sense? Check this one out. I want you to hear this. Everybody check this out. The odds of you being born, okay, so from conception to being birthed, the odds, and I'll break it down for you in a minute, are 130 octillion to one. So what that means is that means 130 with 27 zeros behind it. 
things had to happen perfectly for you to go from conception to birth. Can I tell you that this morning you didn't come from your parents, you came through your parents, meaning God's hand was on all of that because he wants you here. Like, I, I, I don't care what your past has looked like. I don't care what, what you think or what somebody has said your life is supposed to be or should be or what you are. 130, 130 octillion things happened for you to be here. God wants you here because he loves you and cares for you and has great plans for you. Are you with me? It didn't just happen in a thing. Your parents may not have wanted you or planned you or said those things to you, but God wants you here and has great plans for you. We got to believe it. We got to believe that you're not here just to live a good enough, but you got you got great potential in God. Amen? Amen. The economy tells us that value comes from what's rare, rare. Gold is rare. Diamond. All these things are rare, so they have high value. Well, if you're one of a kind, if there's only one of you, then you're the rarest to God. Are you with me? And so this should spur us onto something. God created me with great plans for me and put incredible potential in me. And then he sent his son to buy back uh, a relation, you know, this with me and in closeness and heaven and eternity. So he put all this in for what? For what at this point? All of this story up to here is for what? Well, I think Ephesians speaks to it. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, God put us together. God created us. It says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God created you to do good things, good works. And then that d- description there that we should walk in them gives us an, a, a duty. It gives you an obligation. It's saying, look, you were created by God to do good works and you should be doing those things. <laughs> You shouldn't just be settling for good enough and get by and measuring up to what everybody else is doing. It's like, no, God created you, put amazing things in you, uh, prepared you. And he's saying, now make sure you walk those things out. Make sure you believe and you're going after, like Paul said, I'm just emptying all that I am going after the way that God created me to live. Amen. I thought about this. We have a terrible trend in America uh, of suicide. Uh, what, what happens here? You know, we, we, what's happening to a generation when you see this? Do you know that in America, the third highest killer uh, is not car crashes, is not the third highest killer is suicide. Do you know that more people take their own lives than somebody else murders? Uh, so you would think, well, you know, murders, killing a lot of people, more people in their own lives. Why? Because they don't know their purpose. They don't know their potential. They don't know that they've been created by God with with great purpose. And and so the number one, you know, a sad part of that conversation is that a trend that they see is growing is the the sphere in that category called preteen suicide. Preteen. Are you reading the articles where 11-year-olds, all these young people are taking their lives? Why? It's because a a, a generation in front of them or people in their lives aren't coming alongside them and saying, God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose for you. You're incredible. We love you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Instead, we're busy boasting in our blessed lives. We got a generation over here without hope and without purpose, and no one's talking of their potential in God, and we're over here just 
swimming in what God has blessed us with, but God said you're blessed to then turn and be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blesser. You're not blessed by God to be blessed. Does that make sense? We don't love that, and I believe that God blesses us, but we're not blessed to be blessed. We're blessed to become blessers, right? And so we got this generation of young people that they're saying, like, I just don't see why it matters. I don't see why it's worth it. And they look at these other options. We, I believe, the church is an answer. We should be coming alongside these hurting and the forgotten and the abandoned and say, God loves you. You have great potential. Are you with me? That should have got a bigger amen. Are you with me? And so I believe this church can be that. I believe that God's serious about it because when he gave talents to uh, the parable of the talents, he gives these things to these guys and he says, hey, uh, steward these for me. Uh, Make sure you uh, pay attention to these things, manage these things. And do you know that the one who just stayed average, just sat on it, did nothing with it? Uh, the, The parable goes on to say that one was called the wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because you were okay just being good enough. It didn't increase, it didn't risk, it didn't uh, try to go out and reach its maximum potential. It just said, hey, I'm going to be okay with status quo and good enough. And we said, no way, that is not our heart. That is wicked and lazy. Are you with me? I think if we live our lives of like, hey, we'll just give them just a little bit. We'll just, we don't want to risk. We don't want to do extra. We don't want to certainly do anything with any kind of passion. We don't want to dream for anything. We just want to do good enough. I believe it could be said about us, man, that's wicked and lazy. Are you with me? What is our best that we're trying to unwrap and discover and fulfill in the kingdom of God? It matters that we find our gift and serve with it and give with it and and reach our full potential. Amen? I think about, you know, seasons. When I think about the body of Christ, you know, I hear that terminology all the time of like, well, we have young kids or, well, we're older or, well, and we have all these reasons why we're, we're not connecting with our community or being plugged in. So you disconnect yourself from the body. And the problem with being disconnected from the body is if I took my arm off and sat it down, it would wither and decay and be destroyed. Amen? But the other thing that would happen is I would suffer as the rest of my body. So this thing over here suffers and then this suffers. When we aren't together all going after God's best in our life as a body, we all suffer. Amen? We have got to come together as a church. And that, I believe, even spiritually means multiple generations of even religion, like it's okay if we work together in the outreach center with the reformed churches and the other. Are you with me? I believe that the whole body belongs together. Amen. If our doctrine points people to the savior, then I think we can get along. Amen. So we can't just cut ourselves off and expect to thrive. You die when you're disconnected. Amen. And I thought about you know, kids in, in the schools and, and, and we're a part of Kids Hope and it's a mentoring program in the school and you go in and you just tell kids that they're full of potential and God loves them and you hang out and it's the best. And, uh, you know, I was, I was saying, I don't put on a robe and a big thing and like put on a cross and go in and do a spiritual act. Honestly, I've played with fidget spinners far more than I would ever care to in <laughs> this school year. Uh, and when we didn't play fidget spinners. This is a true story. I should show you the picture. When we weren't, we were on a whiteboard drawing up imaginary fidget spinners, <laughs> whole day of just all these different ones. And they were cool. Some of them, like if it got stolen, you would get electrocuted if it wasn't yours and some shot things and high spiritual stuff. I don't expect you to understand. 
But you know what we did? We, we, we go in and we tell people, God loves you and has great potential for you. Are you with me? Because like the world needs it. It needs us to come alongside them and love on them. Amen? I'll close with this. Um, my kids, you know, think about it or your kids or whatever. Uh, gifts to unwrap somebody's gift or their potential in their life, what God created on the inside of them. Stages of life require help. Uh, your little kids, you wouldn't just send them running to the tree and tell them to open up whatever they want and participate with whatever they get. All of a sudden, the little one, three-year-old got dad's chainsaw, you know, like it would do damage. You sit down with them, you put them on your lap, you help them discover and unwrap. Are you with me? That's what kids ministry is. You get to go up on an hour and sit down with these kids and start helping them peel back the goodness of God and what the Bible says for their life. It matters, it's a big deal. We're helping them in the stage that they're in. Are you with me? So that's a big deal. We gotta be there to help the world unwrap their gifts. Another thing that I think is a big deal is people are watching you, what you open. People are watching the gifts and the things that, and the potentials that you're discovering. There is no government. There is no self-help book. There is no celebrity. There is no thing that's going to solve the world's problem. But if a whole bunch of Christians, if a whole bunch of believers, if a whole bunch of people live for more than good enough and, and start going after God enough, the world is going to take note of like, man, look at what's being opened in their life. Look at the goodness they're experiencing. Look at their marriages. Look at all these things. Are you with me? And they're going to be drawn to that light and be influenced by it. Amen. I thought about it like this. The benefit for us or the blessing in it for us when you're helping somebody find their potential and reach what God has for them is, is there's no greater joy than watching somebody open a gift that you know they're going to love. Right? Maybe you've thought on it for the whole year and you've prepared it and you've custom ordered it and you've put it all together and you get ready to give it to that person who's going to love it. You can't, there's no greater joy than watching them discover that perfect gift. Can I tell you, there's no greater joy than living your life in a way that you show somebody the love of God for the first time. You serve in kids ministry or you serve as an usher or you serve as a greeter and somebody comes through these doors and experiences and opens the gift of God for the first time. There's no greater joy. There's nothing better than that. Are you with me? We have to steward our lives that way. Amen. One of the greatest things when you're thinking of gift giving uh, is a restored gift. Maybe you and your family, dad or grandpa or somebody had something valuable to the family. And it didn't even have to be of high value, but it meant a lot. And uh, you put it together, maybe you got it restored and you regave the gift or you passed the gift on. And you saw once was once was maybe neglected or forgotten, and then you saw it repurposed and find its potential and be re-given, that's more valuable than any new hot trend, right? To see something with meaning and significance be restored is one of the greatest gifts. Do you know that God's that same way about your life? Do you know that one of the highest value kind of gifts is a restored one? In your life, maybe you need to be restored. Maybe you are a person or lived a life who like it was once a gift and because the people that it belonged to didn't value it, didn't see its value, didn't see its potential. 
they forgot about it or they treated it as it was unwanted because they didn't see its value. They neglected it, maybe even abused it. And so it was in the wrong hands. But when the right hands came along, I'm talking about the hands of God. When the, when the right hands came along or somebody who valued that kind of thing, when it got into the right hands, it became rebuilt and restored. And I just need a humor break, so I'm gonna say it this way. If you've ever seen Toy Story 2, cause that's my world, that crazy guy and he's repainting Woody. Oh my God, you never watched Toy Story? <laughs> Open my iTunes and put it on the thing. We're not leaving until. But the guy comes in and he drops like the magnifying glass down and he's sewing up Woody and he's painting it on, spray painting. He's so passionate about restoring that because it has high value to him because he sees the significance in it. Do you know when you submit your life to God, he gets so excited like that? And he says, oh, they've, they've come to me and they're, and they're pursuing me. And he comes and he says, oh, I can't believe I finally have this life in front of me. I get to put this together and fix it and restore it to better than it ever was. Are you with me? When someone finds it and knows its value, I believe it gets rebuilt perfect, back to perfection. You know what's awesome about something that gets rebuilt and restored is usually its best years are after the restoration. So many of you are like, oh, I've lived this life and I've done all these things and I've messed it up and I've lost all these years. I believe when you let God restore you, your best years are ahead of you. They're ahead of you. The enemy would come to you now and be like, do you know all the crap you went through? Do you know all this? Do you know every time you tried, you got hurt and you got stepped on and you got, and, and that's what the enemy would say. But with God, he comes and he says, hey, I'm gonna restore you. The scripture says he's gonna put your feet up on solid ground. Your best years are ahead of you. The scripture also says this, that he takes what the enemy meant. I'm preaching this next week, so you get a preview. The enemy, he takes what the enemy meant for evil. And it doesn't say that he just brings you back to good. Like, oh, phew, we're out of what was evil. Now we're back to good. It says that God gets to use what was evil. He gets to use it for good. So it's not just, hey, phew, we got you out of there. We escaped. It's like, oh, no, no. We're taking the ammo from that place. Like, we're going to rob that place of what it tried to do, use its guns and its bullets. We're going to use its stuff to go make a difference on this side. He gets to use what the enemy meant for evil for good. So I know that it was hard and it was painful and you've built up a wall and you don't want to trust. But God says, hey, if you give your life to me, if you trust me, if you give yourself to me, we can take all that mess and we can use it to go do some pretty amazing things because your best years are ahead. Won't you stand? Why don't you all bow your heads and close your eyes? With nobody looking around, we're not gonna do anything to embarrass you or call you forward or, or anything like that. But if you're in here this morning and you say, I've settled for good enough, I don't even have a relationship with God, I'm not on a, a path of Christianity, but you're in here this morning and you say, I wanna give my life to God. I wanna I want trust him to be my Lord and Savior. We sang a song that said, he's our good, good father. A father who's good and, 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 and cherishes you and in his hands can restore you and set you in a place where, where you're made back to perfection and valued. If you're here this morning and you say, 
I want to be a Christian. I want to follow God. I want to trust him with my life. The Bible says you get to do this. There's this really cool thing. It's called the sinner's prayer or the prayer of salvation. Both of those mean the same thing. But the Bible says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, so so basically you're praying a prayer and while you're praying that prayer, you're believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. So you're believing on God, you're believing in his salvation, that you're on your way to heaven. Like eternity is gonna be heaven for you. Your sins are forgiven. So if you're in here this morning, you say, count me in that prayer. Again, I'm not gonna have you come forward. I'm not gonna call you down, nothing like that. But with nobody looking around, it's just between you and you and God and, and I'll acknowledge your hand, but I'm gonna have you raise your hand in just a minute. If you're in here and you say, count me in that prayer, just go ahead right now and slip your hand up where you are. See that hand, anybody else? I see that one. It's gonna be the best day of your life. I believe when you say this to God, the scripture says that heaven actually rejoices. When a person on earth says, yes, I wanna pray a prayer of salvation, heaven like throws a party, they go crazy because they're so excited that you made such a great decision to walk on a path of godliness and righteousness, amen? So those of you that are ready to pray this prayer, you wanna mean it in your heart, just we're all together gonna say it out loud, but I strongly encourage you pray this Pray this with your words. Just pray it out loud and you'll see God start to do amazing things. Let's all say this. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk and to trust and to listen to you. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for them who prayed that prayer.